Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Welcome to Queer Relationships. Some of the episodes in our lineup are what we call a relationships Q&A, a safe space for everyday folks to talk with a therapist about a problem or topic with the hope that others can relate and gain insight into their own journeys. I remember as a child too, like again, bless their heart, my mom's now passed on, but like some, and I would have probably done this if I had me for a child, but like growing up, it was like some of the, um, uh, some if we were misbehaving, uh, probably I was under six years old, but like early enough to remember this, that she'd be like, that's it can't handle you I'm leaving and she would literally leave and so she would leave um she I think she would just go next door or go like maybe she was just outside but I remember us being like oh no we'll be better please don't leave us Mm -hmm. and so like I I know that like I recognize that and like how that probably like laid the, the foundation for a lot of my relationships and having abandonment issues but I I remember that so clearly and so I know on like a deep fundamental level, it's just like, yeah, just don't leave. Like, that's just it. It's like, you can stay, you can like be at a distance. You can not love me, you can love me, whatever. Just, just be there. In our last episode, we covered the topics of enmeshment and home, helping the guests find their way to an inward home that will root them no matter where they go. In today's episode, we take a deep dive into her subconscious to examine why home feels so far away and what steps need to be taken to reclaim it. As we converse, you'll hear me referencing the chart we're both looking at, and if you'd like to follow along, you can access the chart for yourself just by downloading it at iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. One more time, that's iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. I hope you enjoy. So sometimes... I'm going to kind of set the stage here, kind of maybe prime, you know, prime us to get us back to where we were last week. But um, sometimes I think that we are so trained to think about what other people need and want, and we prioritize that. I, I remember kind of talking a little bit about enmeshment, where anytime the kiddo is managing the mood or the emotions of someone bigger than them, that's enmeshment. And so what that enmeshment does is it's going to set us up to kind of live in what I call in this chart here, the performer mode. So the performer downloads kind of this software. I like to think of it as a relational software because of the enmeshment. So if you look at the top, those four lines up there, um, they kind of are the software that we use in relationships and it's very very subconscious so the first one is i'm valuable when i meet others expectations and rescue them from their pain Mm -hmm. i need to be spectacular to earn my value i kind of like saying i need to be spectacular so much so that they have no choice but to love me (laughs) and then i need to care for others and if i don't i feel incredibly guilty and then here's the odd one but being close scares me because I will lose my sense of identity or my individuality. Yeah. And so this enmeshment really trains us to prioritize the comfort of others 
and we think that if we do that well enough, not only will we get people to stay, but we're also going to be incredibly valuable. And we don't want to stop rescuing them from pain because then we stop being valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we kind of do here is um, we enter relationships kind of in this blue bubble here, but we enter relationships to earn value and avoid guilt. It's kind of like our motive. It's the reason why we're kind of entering in. Right. So it's kind of this idea of I'm going to be the best employee or the best partner. Um, watch me. I'm going to wow you. Um, or look at this dilemma. I can fix it for you. That loneliness, I can help get rid of it. That mm-hmm. hollow, whatever it might be. This is why the, the reason I thought of this, this chart for you is because here in this white bubble, when we're using this illusion of control, it's almost like we're the superhero. And this is where the illusion we talked about of control says, I have this illusion that I control your needs and wants, and I'm constantly looking at yours, not mine. Mm-hmm. And this is where we do a lot of, I have in here, we kind of lose that captain role in our own ship and we become that relational chameleon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are you thinking here? Um, I think what's interesting that comes to mind is, uh, more like current day, um, not, yeah. So not like throwing me back to like childhood, but, um, I don't know at what point something you said just made me think of how I can see this playing out. I don't know at what point to start, maybe even just when I came out mm-hmm. the, um, <clears throat> cause it was, um, yeah. So I'd studied, I did biblical studies in uh, university and it's just always like the Deuteronomistic theology of like, you live your life as holy <clears throat> to please God. And then you're blessed. And uh, obviously like logic would follow that if you, were living your life unholy, then you would be cursed. And so it just wondered if that somewhere along the line, like obviously maybe rooted in childhood, but how it's lived itself out as an adult. I have this performer mentality around if I can be the best person, like, because like being a queer person, I don't love that everyone like identifies me as that mm-hmm. and like puts that on me and, Oh, this is, your lifestyle choices are, are the worst. And so me thinking like, if I can just be the best person in every other area of my life, then they can't criticize that one part of my life. And I think we probably touched on this a little bit last time, but like, it's just totally making sense right now about how, yeah, how I've let that self let that play out in my life. And I remember thinking, oh man, if only like my funny like friends could see me now mm-hmm. because it would, it would rock their theo- that theology. Mm-hmm. That according to their theology, I am living an unholy life and therefore I should be going down this, this path of destruction mm-hmm. as outlined according to some scripture. So, um, but yeah, so I think at what point did I take that on and like further put that on myself. I think it's always kind of been there. Um, but I guess where I'm sitting now is realizing that, yeah, I've, I've definitely become this performer in that sense, specifically to do with my queer 
identity. Yeah, that is so common in religion. And I even want to say we're kind of, this is going to maybe offend a lot of people who are listening, but it will, we are enmeshed with God. Hmm. And that enmeshment is a major pillar of codependence. Hmm. Yeah. I think that we could even say many of us grew up in a codependent theology and we taught it as relational gold. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. The idea here is that, again, we're only as valuable as we perform for God or for others. And that robs us greatly of knowing and experiencing physically our own inherent value. And we will, again, we will use obligation to navigate the world. I have to do this for you to keep you happy as opposed to I love loving you this way. Mm-hmm. And so our motivation is it's more focused on the obligation than on love. It's yeah. in some ways non-relational, more transactional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that totally makes sense because then the obligation, whether it started at home with how like we interact with our parents being our first caregivers. And then I remember how in my childhood life and how, um, how my parents would use specifically my mom would use religion to make me a, a better child like to uh, this is like I'm not special in this everyone does this but um like I remember specific examples that it was like that enmeshment of like yeah my mom being like if I wanted to go to the mall I remember there'd be some times where my mom would be like okay well give me show me three bible verses and pray about it (laughs) before she would give me an answer Uh and I'm like you can just also say no (laughs) but there was never a clear like Yes, you can go, or why? It was never just, or like, no, yes or no. It was always, we'll see, or give me, yeah. So I'm like, oh my Lord, I had to do so much work. And at the same time, like her motivation behind that was like, she probably just knew I was going to give up. (laughs) And then she wouldn't have had to say no. I'm like, just say no, it's fine. So like from a young age being like, yeah, having like either, yeah, either it was like my parents that were that way for that reason or them using God to like form my behavior. And Oh, that that's probably the big, the biggest fun part to deconstruct when Mm -hmm. you come away from, from that. Right. It's like, what was actually your parents and how they like presented this view of God Mm -hmm. and our responsibility. Right. To, to that Supreme being. Mm -hmm. Because we were like hurting his heart, right? If we disobeyed uh-huh. our parents, uh-huh. yeah. So basically, what's happening here is we're saying, "I can't even trust my own preferences," mm. because you're telling me that what I feel and what I want is wrong, or I have yeah. to prove that it's innocent. And we're constantly questioning, "Do I know what I want?" Yeah. You know, I think one of the more subtle, secretive, and profound and maybe even destructive ways of enmeshment is saying um, my hiding myself is keeping you happy. 
me staying in the closet keeps that smile on your face. That is serious illusion of control. That is some serious enmeshment. Mm -hmm. And that moves us into kind of this turquoise box where I say um, that we're trapped as the performer. It's kind of like all of these tadas. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, ta-da, I'm staying in the closet and you're happy. Ta-da, I don't know what my preferences are because I just want you to stay comfortable around me. Ta-da, I'm going to go move to a city I don't want to be in. Or ta-da, I'm going to rescue you with money and pay your mortgage. Or ta-da, 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 ta-da. <laughs> the thing that we kind of talked about this a little bit, but when we put up that indigo and that indigo and we're the chameleon and we're like, ta-da, with, with whatever shade we become for other people, they're actually only able to bond to that shade of who we are, that layer, and that bonding is actually blocking relational intimacy. Because mm. they're not able to actually see you, you know? We, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that is the home piece, I, I think, in many ways, excuse me, yeah. And I wonder, yeah, that makes me think about, um, I guess, how good I became at doing this, the ta-da, especially with my family or with my sister. And to the point where when I finally did come out, she was blindsided and sure. made it all about her and how much she was affected by the news and, and all of that. But I was like, I knew that I couldn't fully blame her for that and her reaction, how, how much over the years she's um, progressed and, and, and then one step forward, two step back type of relationship with, with me being out. Um, but yeah, that, that, ta-da, that definitely resonates. It's not something I feel good about knowing now that I do that. Sure. Because I w it would be much easier for me to blame everyone else. Be like, no, you, you were seeing the real me all the time when, in fact, no, that wasn't the way it was. But, and that, I think the other thought that I had is how since uh, when we first talked about the ta-da, it reminded me about the perfectionism or like me feeling competent or incompetent that I probably kept myself in the closet in many areas for longer than I should have because I was waiting to perfect myself or my coming out or my knowledge of. So when I did show up finally as myself, I could say, look at me like I'm bulletproof in this sense. Like I'm so perfect. I'm so strong. I'm so competent that nothing, you don't have anything, you don't have any like to stand out when it comes to your disagreement of me mm. or what I'm doing. Sure. And so that was like in when I was working in the environmental field, it was like knowing science or knowing how like the interplay between like an intelligent being in science and like being like competent in how I would argue these different things. And and um, and then so if I was ever questioned about like, how can you be a spiritual being and still, like, you know, trust science and all of this and and then I would be ready to have all these answers, mm -hmm. but never really fully. So I just stayed in the closet mm -hmm. in regards to that or being like a Christian, um, like and being doing Christian ministry and then being in the closet because how can I fully present myself as a queer Christian in a way that I will be accepted. And so a lot of it is, I think we 
talk about the reality of me wanting to, I used to think it was just me wanting to like prove a point when it, it wasn't. I think you've helped me realize that it was more to do with me wanting to be accepted sure. and to mm-hmm. be loved, mm-hmm. which sucks because that makes me vulnerable. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a thing. Yes. So that word vulnerable was just kind of like floating around in my head as we were talking. Because mm-hmm. when we're doing tadas, we don't have to be vulnerable. We just get to provide. Yeah. You know, and we get to stay hidden behind all of those colors that we get to show people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I was wondering um, the vulnerability piece. Do you feel like you're safe to practice that? Do you have trustworthy people? To, to let yourself go to that scary place and open up? Um, I, I feel like I've started to like be selective about the people that are around me more now, which is good. And I think like that has been the problem in the past because I found people that I can be different and vulnerable, vulnerable with in my differences. Like if I was, I have a queer uh, friend group and I can be vulnerable about where I'm at with my relationship. And then I like with my partner, I have a, like a queer Christian group where I can be vulnerable about where I'm at with like my relationship with God. I can have like, I have, with my activist friends, I can be vulnerable about where I'm at with like the state of the world and like there's, but it's pockets. Mm-hmm. So I still feel like I'm going in and out of these areas where I'm like, Oh, it's so much work. Like, where can I fully find like, uh, and I guess that's the point of like you bringing it back home. It's like, so, and so that's kind of where my focus has been like in the last couple of years and wanting to be able to be real and open and honest and coming out of all of these different closets and yeah, I guess being vulnerable for sure, but like in different ways still. <laughs> and so finding, finding, um, yeah, creating a space where I think my focus now, especially since like this pandemic and being stuck at home, it's like finding a place where at least when I'm alone or with my partner that I'm like a hundred percent real and myself. And that's been, that's been amazing because at least, at least I have that. And at least I have that share with one person. So, but yeah, it's, it's still a struggle, I think, because there's still, I guess there's still people out there that only know one part of me or one side of me mm-hmm. right yeah do you feel like it's in some ways a teta that they don't know other parts are you protecting them from who you are in a sense well this is why i i think i think in a sense i'm protecting like what i what i know like off the top i know i'm i feel more like I'm protecting myself mm-hmm. at least from and so I don't know if that's like a mistrust because I know when I've had experiences where I have been open and transparent with people they've surprised me and they've shown acceptance or camaraderie or a shared understanding that I didn't know of and so part of me is like wondering if it's just like this natural distrust of people that I have because of how I view myself 
like that if I, like if I'm just projecting, like I think I'm bad, therefore they're going to think I'm bad or like however that works. So I think naturally, yeah, I would, I'm trying to, I think I'm trying to protect myself, but I don't know if there's part of that, that on a deeper level, if I'm, I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One example that comes to mind is um, the little kiddo who has an alcoholic mom, let's say, mm-hmm. who says something like, I have to keep her from drinking. That's the enmeshment piece. I'm in charge of making sure because if, if I fail her, my world will be chaos in an hour or two. And this whole room will be so unsafe for me because I don't know what's going to come out of this woman. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us are saying, I need to stabilize you so that I'm stable. I need you to love me so that I'm safe here. And when it feels like that bad part of us could be discovered, we protect them from us so that we're protected. Mm. Yeah. You're not allowed to see this about me because if you do, then I'm screwed. I'm lost. I'm abandoned. I'm alone. I'm rejected. And that's a ta-da. Ta-da! You can't see this part of me so that you still like me. Yeah. So that I'm okay. Hmm. What feels so bad about you? Um, I think, I think it's what kind of hits a nerve is that it's not at least again, cognitively, like I don't feel the need to be loved or liked, like obviously on a fundamental level that's there. But I think what I have recognized is a fear of abandonment. So however that plays out, like that would be the most extreme of like, let me do this for you so you'll stay and love me. It's it's not even that. It's like, let me do this for you so you'll stay. Just stay. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> so it's like, and I remember I remember those experiences. I remember as a child too, like, again, ugh, bless her heart, my mom's now passed on. But like some, and I would have probably done this if I had me for a child. But like growing up, it was like some of the, um, uh, some if we were mis- misbehaving, I, I probably I was under six years old, but like early enough to remember this, that she'd be like, that's it. Can't handle you. I'm leaving. And she would literally leave. And so she would leave. Um, she, I think she would just go next door or go like, maybe she was just outside, but <laughs> I remember us being like, Oh no, we'll be better. Please don't leave us. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I know that, like I recognize that and like how that probably like laid the, the foundation for a lot of my relationships and having abandonment issues. But I, I remember that so clearly. And so I know on like a deep fundamental level, it's just like, yeah, just don't leave. Like, that's just it. It's like, you can stay, you can like be at a distance. You can not love me. You can love me, whatever. Just Mm -hmm. just be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah. So that would make sense then like on this to the like performative level that it's just, like that probably is like, okay, something clicks in me <laughs> to do with that. Because yeah. it just didn't feel so right about like that I'm performative to like get it, garner attention or love. It was just like, yeah, just don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what an innocent, just so innocent of a craving 
you know, I, I think it's really easy for us to, to kind of whack ourselves over the head with a chart like this and be like, goodness, what am I doing? You know, look at all these todos I'm doing. It's relational community. <laughs> but we started doing it because we wanted people to stay. Mm-hmm. And that is so important for a little kid. Yeah. No wonder why we stay in the closet so long because we want people to stay. Yeah. We're willing to tada like crazy because the alternative is petrifying. Yeah. And then on the flip side to be like, okay, and now that you stay, you, you're going to stay. Okay. You're here. Okay. You're going to stay. Okay. Now I'll leave. <laughs> what is that about? It's like, okay, no, you're here. Okay, good. Okay. I, I'm just going to go. <laughs> and then I'm like, how does it flip so drastically and so fast sometimes? Mm-hmm. Cause that was like my, my story of like relationships mm-hmm. for me. Sure. And maybe you kind of mentioned something about this, but yeah. So it's like in my head, I'm like, how did I work so hard to try to get people to stay? if that was just going to freak me out and then I was going to leave. Right. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Being <laughs> close scares me because I lose my identity and individuality. Yeah. Okay. Individuality. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we do that? What's that about? Yeah. It's actually, you kind of set it up perfectly. It's in that dark gray box here on the performer side. We become so overwhelmed with the neediness of others. But we sit there and we say, ta-da, 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 oh, you're staying. Oh, my goodness, ta-da, ta-da. And then after a while, it's ta-da, ta-da. <laughs> I, am, I am overwhelmed with mm-hmm. how much I need to perform for you. I'm hiding my sexuality. I'm hiding my personality. I'm wearing this freaking pink shade everywhere I go for you just to stay. And now that you're going to stay, I'm actually just resentful of you. I'm angry at myself. I'm uncomfortable mm. in this place. So right. I have to get the heck out of here. Right. They don't know we're tadaing them, but we are resentful of them for our tadas. Wow. Yeah. Mm. That makes sense. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for hitting play. It's such a privilege to host this podcast and bring it to your ears. And if you're enjoying the show, we would be forever grateful if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, download, and give us a review. It goes a long way to help us ensure we can reach more people and empower the LGBTQ plus community to build the relationships we want. And you know, there's sometimes the neediness is real. Don't you love me? Um, why do you have friends? Don't hang out with your friends. Hang out with me. I mean, that kind of neediness is it's overwhelming. And we watch our whole life, our dreams, our, that individuality piece kind of fade away. And then we sit here completely overwhelmed. And we're kind of in now this bottom box here where we want to pull away from the relationship. We take off all of that former willingness and energy and we just slap on anger and resentment. Right. <clears throat> and stomp away in this yellow box saying, I failed. My best tada wasn't enough. And we feel failure, we feel shame, depleted, exhausted, that fear, and sometimes even anxiety. If my tadas don't even keep people near me, they don't even stay. 
like God anxiety through the roof because now I'm going to be alone. Yeah. What's coming up for you? This feels a little tender. Uh, it, it, no, it just makes, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Because I think that's where in my experience of the Tadas, because I've only, I haven't been the same person. I used to joke with a previous partner about who was, we were talking about polyamory and monogamy. And I was like, well, I don't want to be. And I'm like, I think we're both a little bit on this, like, even though I was monogamous and she was poly at the core, that it was, I was saying, like, I don't want to be with just one person too, but I want to be with just one person at a time. So I'm like, I'm with you, but then I'll be with someone else, but then I'll be with someone else. And she was like, well, I just want to keep you forever as my, like, you're my primary, you're my number one, and then have all these other people. And I was like, yeah, I can't even do that. I can't even see the longevity of that. And so it just makes sense, um, too. And I do, I definitely think of, of family to do with. And like when I was doing uh, Christian ministry and how I was working so hard to be like this perfect Christian in ministry. And I was doing all of the tadas. And yeah, it just makes sense that once I did that, and I did that so well mm-hmm. for so long, and then it did just become about resentment and anger and really just that I was just frustrated with a lot of people in my life, my family, some friends at the time. Cause I'm like, how, how do you think this is all I am? And I was like internalizing like my sexuality and like coming out at that point right near the end. I was, but I was getting so mad. I'm like, how do you think that this is just what I am? I'm just a Christian. I'm just this minister. I'm just this smiley, happy person all the time. And then uh, like uh, now I look back on it. I'm like, how were they to know otherwise? Right. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's that, that, you know, again, the, the indigo chameleon here and they're like, Oh, she's just pink. That's it. And I don't get to know any other part of her. I can't bond to any other part because I don't know it's there. And again, we become resentful at them because we're freaking pink all the time. (laughs) So hate pink. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, but then going from that again into the next, like leaving campus Christian ministry and then going into my next career and being like, so that to the point where I, when I was working in the environmental movement and, and becoming like my, yeah, just ta-daing all over the place to do with that and the activism and forward facing public speaking, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like, again, I find myself in the same. I'm like, how do you think this is all of who I am? I'm not just an environmental activist. I'm also this spiritual person who's, you know, like has her, has deeper relationships and like, yeah, and so I, I find that, like, I just hop into my next thing, mm-hmm. and then it always ends up, it always ends the same. Yeah, yeah, because we're, we're bringing that fear everywhere we go. Will you stay, or will you abandon me? Will you stay, or will you abandon me? Will you stay, or will... And we're, we kind of throw out that um, radar that says, what will keep them happy? And we're so good at it, because we were so afraid that people would leave us. 
I see couples doing this all the time, and they prioritize the harmony over, of the relationship over intimacy within the relationship. I'll ta-da, just so that you're happy and you stay, and then I'm smoldering inside, and then ta-da, just so you stay, and I'm becoming even more resentful. I didn't want to live in this house. I didn't want that open relationship. I didn't want to move to the city. I didn't want you to have that career, but I ta-da, 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 until I got so effing upset. And now I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of shame ourselves. Why can't I stay? <laughs> yeah. When all I'm looking for is someone to stay. Yeah. I think this time and with my partner, this is the, the one that I, I'm trying to break a lot of my patterns mm-hmm. and fully show up as myself. And I, we had um, pride a couple weekends ago and it was obviously all online. And, um, I remember being asked to speak at a local affirming church, United church in my neighborhood, and they were doing it online online. It would be live. And I remember telling my partner about it. And I remember her reaction being like, wow, I, I just didn't, I just didn't realize like we've been together for just over a year. And she's like, I just didn't realize how religious you were. I was like, oh God, here we go. And I I appreciate these moments where we have these deep talks that get to the core of it. And I remember, um, I remember we got to this point where it was really crunchy for both of us. And I just said, whatever's going on right now, like, is you, like you have some serious like issues. I would really like you to be able to look at yourself. Um, and I promise to do that as well. But I remember it was the first time in a while that even within this, probably because of the safety of the relationship and the vulnerability that I have and the trust with her that I was able to say like, no, like this, this is confidently who I am. Like, and I was, I just said, you weren't around the years that I had to deconstruct and uh, untangle myself in order to become whole, but you get to benefit from my work. So do not criticize that. Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to say like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Like in all its honesty, I may not stay this way, but accept me now for who I am Mm -hmm. and like waiting to see if she'll stay Mm -hmm. before. Like I have, like, I don't have, I guess I'm really, really happy right now because I don't have this knee jerk reaction to bold like I used to. And so like, that's where this feeling of like building this home and in myself and with her as a partner, like it's, it, this this is the one where I'm like, okay, regardless of how this turns out, I'm not going to be the one to fuck it up. Well, I might, but at least that's not my intention. (laughs) Yes. yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) You know, again, the vulnerability kind of pops up because it's almost like the, all the tadas and the shape shifting and the chameleon and the changing colors, all of that isn't vulnerability. Again, we're prioritizing harmony, not intimacy. And then we have to say, I have to practice trusting you with who I am. Mm-hmm. And I have to show you the undecorated self. And then I have to pray to God and hope you stay. But if you do, it's life-changing. I don't have to tell you anymore. It's amazing. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's very rare that I'll get past, well, five months. <laughs> Usually that used to be my thing. It was like five-month cutoff. I don't know why every relationship would end there. But, um, yeah, that's been, this is, yeah, this is definitely different. Yeah. 
That five-month cutoff, just to kind of round us out here in the chart, but that's that little white bubble. Mm-hmm. We create this excuse. We can, I like to think of it as like, I need a vacation from this relationship, or I just need to get the heck out of here. This, all of these tadas is zapping my identity and stealing my individuality. I got to get the heck out. And then once we do, we're in that purple box. And we either feel guilty, like we left the poor thing, you know, my Hispanic culture, like, pobrecito, he's over there all by himself. I have to go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> or number two, oh, holy crap, I've been away. They're getting bored. They might move on without me, and I might be abandoned. And then number three, it's kind of like where we're like, screw this. I'm, I don't want to know that. I don't want to be that color anymore. I'm out. And then whatever we do, we hop right back into that blue bubble. Yeah. And we start all over again with someone else or something else. Yeah. For me, it was usually at that point, I would end a, I would end a relationship at that point fully, like cut mm -hmm. ties, mm -hmm. exit here. Um, usually because I felt like, I, I would put work first, mm. regardless of what it was, whether it was ministry or activism or whatnot. I'd be like, no, the call on my life is more important than you. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Mm. <laughs> and scene. Right. So I usually would, yeah. And so then it would, yeah. So I would use that as an excuse a lot of the time when mm -hmm. it was a good excuse. It was a very noble excuse. But at the same time, it was just like, oh, if I could have just been honest. Sure. that person or with myself to say this relationship isn't necessarily the right thing right yeah so i do want to find someone that i can feel at home with but but yeah it was it was mostly it was like full full cut ties mm -hmm. and yeah. then going but then that's where i step into the next thing because mm -hmm. i'd be like on this like trajectory of this momentum of my career and no relationships and then i'd get there feel settled find a relationship but then like peace out of both things yeah mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. so there's just never a point where it's just like okay i've arrived i'm gonna stay here now mm -hmm. right yeah i think we have some of like we have some of the performer stuff going on, but then we also have like type seven Enneagram stuff. Sevens do not, they don't like to arrive. <laughs> they like to constantly be on adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, you know, what do we do with the Enneagram? Sometimes I'm like, Oh, that four wing of mine. I wish I could just get rid of it, <laughs> but it's here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. And based on, yeah, I would have never, and that, that's why I appreciate talking to you about this because I would have never, ever pegged myself for like this performer, this ta-da. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I couldn't, it was just, it was always, always going to gap that way and just be like, no, this isn't because of maybe some things that have happened in my life that have made me this way. I would have always stayed like happy go lucky and been like, no, this is the great part of my life that I keep, keep it fresh, keep uh -huh. going keep never plant roots. And so like maybe using a bit of that seven as mm -hmm. yeah, deflecting away from this. And so like this, obviously what has happened that I still, I can see myself doing this as an adult mm -hmm. and it's yeah. So, but yeah, I guess figuring out what, what to work on, um, 
to do with this and like how to like how to keep showing up fully as myself in these spaces and I think I'm very appreciative for this I don't want to say I'm very appreciative for a pandemic because it's all about me but like having the time away where it's like I I don't have I don't have an audience I don't have that situation anymore like everyone's at home everyone is removed and so like scaling back pulling back and just reflecting I think this has been like such a blessing in disguise for me to say okay like when no one is around for me to perform too, when no one else is there, when I, for me to do the tadas, mm-hmm. like who, who, who is me? Yes. And that, that is, I feel like this is going to be transformative as long as I don't just up and on to the next thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that um, I really like that you're kind of already doing, it seems like with your partner is just the vulnerability piece. Like, look at my undecorated self. Hey, look at it again. Here's another part you haven't seen. And that, that kind of vulnerability is really, really beautiful. The other thing I think how we keep ourselves out of this a couple more, but I think it's really important for us to identify the enmeshment we've encountered. Something like I was tadaing you and you didn't even know but I was really afraid that if I showed my queer self that you would leave me and that was really painful for me or I was afraid that if I showed the masculine or the feminine self I would be derogated and you would you would chastise me if I showed to to really examine what that enmeshment looked like is really reparative it repairs stuff in us and it really kind of puts enmeshment on the radar so that we can kind of get to know it and smell it and sense it. And then we're really aware of how not to ta-da and then mesh with people. The other thing that I think is really important for us, and this is kind of a harder one, it's to really practice experiencing our own inherent value. I say it that way because we can know it so easily cognitively, like a formula. Yes, I have inherent value to Duh. but to feel it in our bodies to feel inherently valuable we have to go to a really soft tender place to let our, our kind of our bodily imagination even just feel it and then we have this major major but very subtle shift from away from obligation and guilt and all of that tada energy into this motivation to love the way that we're loving people. I always tell people this, you know, um, one of my biggest tadas might be uh, making a fancy dinner, right? Like, ta-da, here's the lobster tail or whatever it might be. Now you're going to stay. That's the whole motivation. But I can still make the same lobster dinner because it's how I love loving people. So our behavior doesn't actually have to change. It's the motivation that does. Right. If, I, if I'm doing this for you out of guilt or obligation, I'm actually going to become resentful for you or at you. But if I do this because I love loving you this way, I'm free. I don't need to thank you. I don't need, I just enjoy the experience of who I was for myself rather than for you. 
Mm-hmm. And that shift in motivation is so profound. I'm enough. I'm inherently valuable that I just get to love how I love you. And that's it. Right. Oh, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I automatically think, wow, if I could love people the way I want to love them, mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd probably think I don't love them anymore and then they would leave me. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's, yeah, that's how the cycle goes, I suppose. But I'm like, if I could love people the way I truly like that's true to myself, I would like take more time. I would take more space away and then come when I'm fully feeling like a hundred percent, um, like genuine about it even. Mm -hmm. Cause there's so many times that I show up and I'm like, I know I'm here just for Mm -hmm. you and you think I love you, but it's actually, I'm just loving you the way you want me to love you, which is not genuine love at all so that's yeah that's the cycle of like wow if i really showed up and love people the way i'd want to they think i don't and then they would leave (laughs) i get the fear but i the other kind of part that i'm hearing here is my god to experience your genuine love would be amazing yeah they would just gobble that up yeah and, and again, they, yeah, you're right. They might surprise me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like with a smile on, like, I'd rather be at home taking a nap or playing my Nintendo Switch or whatever it is, but ta-da, here I am. So let's have fun versus, oh my God, I couldn't wait to get here. I was so excited. I'm fully rested. I have all of this energy. How are you? Like that yeah. energy is so different. This is the vulnerability piece. Vulnerability isn't just verbal. It's, it's a demonstration. I'm, I'm being vulnerable right now to the fear that you're going to leave me. But I really need to cut away and be by myself. And I, I'm almost panicky that you're not going to be here when I come out. That's a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. But being true to my introvertedness <laughs> which again people don't get about me because they think i'm extroverted mm-hmm. yeah do you have any questions about this anything rattling around or doesn't make sense or is confusing um no i do uh it, it all makes sense it's the i think the one thing just that came to mind is um dealing with a family member <laughs> question around dealing with a family member that is um i feel like they're not being authentic and i mean they they may be i don't know but a con like for example my sister who constantly messages me every single day every evening and says i love you good night and she's the one that when i came out to initially accepted me and then had issues and then is like i'm being i was blindsided and how could you have changed and you were raised a certain way what happened and all of that stuff and so i know that there's a part of her that's like i guess my um my assumption is there's a part of her because she is an evangelical christian still that would be like she's trying to love me back into mm-hmm. relationship um or whatnot or love the gay away <laughs> so it's so there's this mistrust with like her in her con and so i don't feel it kind of further pushes me away and i don't want to have like i guess with well, i've had a boundary where i'm like okay just stop texting me so much you can message me and then i can control the notifications or i've 
said like, I'm, I'm going away. I'm turning my phone off. Please don't. But like, I've never outright said, I don't trust your intentions because I know like, obviously she would be drastically hurt by that. And so like, I'm just like a question on how do you deal with family that is so damn loving <laughs> and willing to like constantly check in and say they love me. But it's to me, it's just like, ugh to stop. Yes. <laughs> Let me, cause there's no reaction. Even if regardless of me trusting her motives, regardless of me, um, actually needing someone to be there, there's just no space at all for me to show up authentically and want to reach out. Cause it's just like, even it, like, I just, I never, and this is to the point where I like never think about her. I never wonder how she's doing because there's just no space for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a couple of things here, just to kind of set the context not talking about your frustration or your mistrust of her is a tada. Mm. That's the harmony. There. <laughs> yeah. It's the tada. I'm not talking about this, but I'm smoldering inside. Ugh, yeah. One of my favorite ways of thinking about this, it kind of helps me get a little perspective, but it's saying something like, I have to protect us from my resentment. And in order for me to do that protecting, I have to be honest with you about something. I was really hurt. More than anything, I want to be close to you, but this major wound is in my way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if what you're demonstrating here is pure or if you have alternative motives. And when I tell myself that, I get really leery of you and I'm actually starting to, to resent you because I don't know where this is coming from. And I know part of me would assume it would be definitely like that would open a conversation to her saying she feels the same way, which may or may not be <laughs> something mm -hmm. that I'm like prepared to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's hard, I think, for either of us to just hold space mm -hmm. for the other person, probably because of that mm -hmm. um, resent, resentfulness and the mistrust of yeah not really getting it. You know, I think a lot of people have what I call angry hope. We're so hopeful that they can show up for us in the right way that we're actually really angry because they're not. Mm. And then another way of looking at this is, you know, when, when we create these attachments, they can actually fracture. And sometimes when they fracture, sometimes they're irreparable. But sometimes they, they heal broken. We have to snap the bone again so that we can reset it. And this feels almost like one of those situations here to kind of go back in there and really kind of break, talk about and re-break that bone to oh, say, hey, yeah. I think you hurt me and I hurt you. And we really got to hash this one out so we can get back together again, connect. And I still need boundaries because the boundaries are important. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's a really good takeaway action point for me it does definitely feel true that it's that fracture point where we just have to break it again. Mm -hmm. And then who knows, maybe it, it will heal broken again. <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. it's just a constant thing that I'm like, Oh, am I up for this? But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good luck. That's going to be a hard one. <laughs> yeah. That sounded a lot like glad I'm not you, but <laughs> that's fine. It is my cross to bear. Um, yeah. Family's great. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially when she is like my only 
and my closest family. And it's one of the, I constantly have my friends that even know her or don't trust her either that are like, well, you know, maybe give her a chance and stuff like that. So that's what I, that's sorry. It sounded that way, but I really do mean like, I hope this works out because it sounds like you guys love each other a lot. Mm -hmm. That angry hope. And again, prioritizing harmony is actually a petri dish for resentment. Yeah. Because we're both telling each other and we're both uncomfortable and we're both smoldering and yeah. around and around we go. And she's, she's that person in my life. Like we're so opposite and we're so different, but it's like, I, I need that in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I need that, that different thinking and that's, yeah, just the way she'll come up with that. Like, I need you in my life. It just sucks that we're at this point. So, like, let's let's get. I think that's a great way to start the conversation. I think that'd be yeah. perfect. I need you. Yeah, and then yeah, this Tada thing is just yeah, it's kind of blowing my mind right now because <laughs> she is one of the main people mm-hmm. that I've done it with, mm-hmm. and probably like forever. So. Yeah. And if you, yeah, the more you do it, the bigger that white little bubble is going to be. You're going to need this massive space. Yeah. I'd get in there and kill it. Zap it. (laughs) Pop it. Enmeshment creates major changes in our personality and major shifts in our behavioral patterns. One of the biggest effects from enmeshment that we sustain occurs in our identities. Enmeshment slowly convinces us that we are only as good as our performances. Just to recap, enmeshment occurs any time a parent convinces a child that the child was in control of someone else's mood, emotions, or behavior. With the illusion that we can control another person's behaviors, either emotional or physical behaviors, we will start to create a massive list of all of the things that should be done and the parts of our personalities that we should parade around, as well as a list of the things that should not be done, and a list of the part of ourselves that should be hidden and kept a secret. As we find ourselves using our costumes and our performances to ta-da others, we block ourselves from being known. Those we wish to see and truly know us can't. All they have access to is the version of us they see on stage. We resent others as a result for the show we put on when in fact they have no idea they're seeing our show. We blame others for our loneliness and our angry hope when in fact all we can actually blame is ourselves. Ouch, right? In our anger, shame, and self-blame we experience as a result of our own grand performances we move away from relationships. Taking the definition that relational intimacy means performing, self-hiding, and self-denial, we will avoid deep relationships like a plague. We can stand the aloneness for a certain amount of time until we feel guilty for leaving others in their quote-unquote pain, or until we feel like they're going to leave us. In these two scenarios, we will find the energy to perform once again keeping us in our confusion, wondering when we'll find a place, find a relationship, or find a profession that feels like home. To reverse this cycle, we must identify what parts of our being are left in hiding and how we parade around a particular facade for others to enjoy. Once we can identify what our relational chameleon looks like, we then must identify the boundary and practice it. 
that very particular boundary that protects us from feeling responsible for another's emotions, it's an internal voice that tells you, no, no, you are not allowed to pick up the illusion that you control another person's emotions and behaviors and shapeshift to perceivably keep them happy. As you go without tadaing others, it may feel like you're empty-handed and selfish. After all, enmeshment trains us to believe we are responsible for others' emotions. Believe me, in this context, relying on your own desires as a compass will feel disorienting, but eventually like returning home. All these changes will lead to one powerful revelation we were robbed of as children. It is a knowing and a sensation, a facet of our personhood you can no longer deny. It's not a cognitive thought you'll think, but a sensation you'll feel. It is the experience of yourself as inherently valuable. When we are motivated to do something, not as an award-winning performance, but as a way of loving how we love others, we find that all we need to follow is the sensation of loving ourselves. And with this behavioral mantra, for the contemplative practice of loving how you love, you'll stumble upon your inherent value. And when we stumble upon our inherent value, we stumble upon our home decorated with our own authenticity and the joy our authenticity produces. Remember, when we've been told that what we want and what we need is less than the needs and wants of others, we will feel incredibly selfish when we start using our own needs and our own wants to guide us. But to embrace and use your desires as your compass isn't selfish. It's your guide back home. If you find yourself in the performer side of the chart, remember, you were meant for more than rescuing the world. Until next time. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. <laughs>